Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. A podcast that's more 90s than hearing to infinity and beyond for the very first time. My name's Ash Rose, your host, as I guide you through another slice of 90s football nostalgia. Thank you, as always, for joining us and hitting that download button. And, and while I've got you, actually, I wanted to take this opportunity just to say a big thank you overall for everyone's support so far on this podcast. And when we started at the start of the season, we knew there was a, a gap in the podcast world for something like this. And it seems as though you thought so too, judging by the kind comments you leave us on Twitter and so forth. And so I do hope you're all enjoying the ride so far and we've covered your bit of 90s nostalgia. There's still a bit more to come. And if there's anything else you want us to talk about, as I always say, just give us a hit up on the social and we will be able to include it at some point in the future. Um, and do please spread the word as well, whether it's for your retweets, your shares, telling your friends or even shouting from the rooftops. We'd love to get as many people involved and aware of this little nostalgia trip as possible we can. So we can create our own little AK-90s army, if you like. So, yeah, do tell your friends if they think that this would be for them. We've had a few people that have come late to the podcast and didn't realise that it was there. So if there's anyone like that you think will not like this would and would like join the ride, just do tell them about it and get us on tw- and Twitter and Facebook as well and uh, share the love. That's what I'm all saying. Just share the love. But on tonight's show, uh, it's one I'm really looking forward to, actually. Um, as we look back to the the toys and the games of the 1990s, um, I think because, well, you've already guessed, for those of you who've listened to all the way through the season, um, I'm a big Kit fan. I, I actually record magazines when we did our magazines uh, podcast, but my other big love as well is as action figures. So I'm building this pretty much geeky profile of myself, which I'm happy to live up to. Um, but when you combine figures and football, like we got a few times in the 1990s, well, for me, that's like heaven on a stick, just right there. Um, you hear me go in detail about football figures the decade in just a bit um, with the guys we've got on tonight. But it wasn't just football figures that really I was in love with during the 1990s and growing up. I was one of those kids who, as soon as I was into something, be it a TV program, a film or video games, I couldn't wait for the figures of that said craze to be released. I mean, I still remember the Christmas. I got my first WWF figures. I think it was Hogan and Warrior, maybe even the Bushwhackers. Uh, having a breakdown in Beatties in Croydon, where my auntie lived, when I first saw the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle action figures. I wouldn't leave the shop, I don't think, if, until I got at least one of them. And I think it must have been Raphael, because he was always my favourite. Or collecting anything from Thundercats to Mask and Brave Star, Centurions. Just, I just loved collecting kind of action figures. And I've still got two or three massive tubs sitting in my garage. One of them is full of complete wrestling figures and the other two just a kind of plethora of different things. My nephews love looking through them and asking me what one's this and stuff. So yeah, I can't get rid of them. And it's and sadly for my wife, it's carried on into my adult life as well. And thanks to the nostalgic thread in my office, it's not only filled with 90s figures, what we're going to talk about tonight, but also those pop vinyl pesky figures too. I can't get me enough of those. And if anyone in of Funko is listening, I think it's about time you did a retro football range or, or something like that. That would be amazing. Imagine a Rud Hullet and a Diego Maradona, a little pop vinyl, even a Pele. That would be great. Alexi Lalas, imagine that in that lovely USA kit that I always go on about. Or if we're talking away from football, if you are listening, well, how about some Friday Night Lights and West Wing? That would be great, wouldn't it? Anyway, we'll talk Corinthians, the Butio, Tonka, and a whole lot more tonight with my guests. Before we do, here is how you can keep in touch. And as I said at the top of the show, you can follow us on Twitter and on Facebook at AK90s. Uh, again, keep any questions or images you've got. I mean, if especially the action figures and toys and games. Is there anything sitting in your loft that's got dust on it that you want to share with us? Go for it, because as much as I like to cover everything on this show, if there's something that we've missed, please, please do tell us and share because I love finding those uncovered gems of the nineties that we may have just missed. So if there's only sitting in your office, especially on this theme or in your garage, go on, put it on Twitter, put it on the social network. We'd love to see it. Um, You can also listen to any of the previous shows on iTunes or on SoundCloud or at the website at AK nineties, where we covered everything from kits to, scandals to rivalries we did our team of the 90s there's so much to get involved with but check that out on itunes and maybe give us a rating and a little review as well that would be great so that's meet tonight's guest then and it's a welcome back second time around firstly for always now editor of wearable because i think that was a different job last time you were here and may night fan michael saw how you doing mike i'm good 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 thanks how's the new job uh yeah yeah enjoy it i mean uh hips the town at the moment, I'm based in Shoreditch, so it's uh, there's a lot of beards around here. I have to contend with, but no, it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. It's all yeah. good. Yeah, beard central. <laughs> uh, welcome back, also to freelance writer on all things Merseyside, Richard Buxton. More evening, Rich. Hi, Rash. You okay? I'm good, mate. Thank you for coming back. And lastly, our Wolves man from Media Seventy Three, Graham Large. How you doing, Graham? 
I'm good, Ash. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, guys. Um, we're now going to move on and get your CV. So for the second time around, we're talking games. Uh, Man United, as I always say on this, had a lot to choose from. So, Michael, your Man United game from the 90s. Yeah, this was an interesting one because I think if you look back in the 90s, I mean, there's a lot of big upsets against United as much as, you know, it was a good time for silverware. But I had to pick out um, the game against Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, Steve Bruce, two headers. Um, Brian Kidd and Ferguson game, absolutely mental on the pitch. I think the goals, the second goal was kind of scored in like, what, the 12th minute of injury time? <laughs> was well, Fergie time was invented then, wasn't it? That was the day Fergie time started. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, no, that, that game definitely brings back good memories. And, um, well, yeah, it was, a, it was a start of something, you know, very good for United. So, yeah, definitely that game for me. Yeah. And outside of Old Trafford then, what would you be your game of the 90s? I think, I think most people are going to say this, but the, uh, the 4-3 yeah. Newcastle game, I mean, it, it had everything, didn't it? I mean, it had the goals, it had, you know, it had Keegan kind of on the kind of, Hoardings kind of knowing it was all over. So, yeah, I think for me that game was an effect, you know, honestly the best game of the 90s for me. So, yeah, it's hard to be. And it's a nice segue to Richard because as a Liverpool fan, is that the game you're choosing? Well, three to four, Mark, I'm not going to uh, <laughs> go, with, go with the crowd on this one. I actually think that's probably an example of, um, and I was actually there that night and for the one the year after. I think those two, four, three games were an example of how not to, to see out the lead and how not to. To consolidate your position, I think it was as much as everyone loves it. It's it's not what I'd call them the favourite game of the nineties because I think it was more nerve wracking than anything. Yeah, I think I probably I think I was close to a cardiac arrest at the age of nine years old, so it was <laughs> yeah. um, definitely not in my uh, in my favourite lists. It was good for the neutral. Yeah, good for the yeah, neutral. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So so for you then, which uh, which Liverpool game you got you plumping for? Um, well, there's a couple of these in the nineties. There was a couple of games where Liverpool saw off opponents quite comfortably, but the one that I think, and it probably won't rank in anybody's um, list of all-time favourite Liverpool games ever, let alone in the 90s, um, it was in 1998, it was um, Liverpool beat Nottingham Forest 5-1 at Anfield, and it was um, it was a pure masterclass for Michael Owen, which was probably yeah. the reason why it's, it's memorable. I mean, it was a really horrible afternoon, it was... Grim, grim time for Liverpool. Uh, grim time for the whole country. I think Cher had the number one at the time, so that, <laughs> that kind of typified where we were at. But um, yeah, Owen was just on fire, and um, there's actually one of his goals ended up uh, making it into the cup for his um, his famous Michael Owen soccer skills series yeah, because it was a, a route yeah. one goal. David James kicked it long, and Owen just picked it up and and did what he what he usually did. And it was um, that for me, even though it wasn't the greatest uh, Liverpool side. It wasn't a game that had anything really significant in it. We all knew what, what a player Michael Owen was. Um, it was still probably the most memorable game because the ones where you had 3-0 against Man United, 4-3 against Newcastle, they weren't what I call great games. I'm, I'm a firm believer in, in seeing out a game and, yeah. and being comfortable, not not chasing your tail to try and catch up with the other with the other, uh, other team. Yeah, no, that's a good point, yeah. And out, well, outside of Anfield then, what would you say your favourite game in the 90s would be? I think you're going to be sick of me mentioning this one because I think I've mentioned it that, that many times on the podcast already that um, it's becoming a bit tedious. But um, Euro 96, uh, not surprisingly, <laughs> and um, England, Holland, yeah. which I, I still regard as probably one of the, the most complete footballing performances by anyone at the highest level um, in over 20 years of watching football, uh, man and boy. Um, I think that was the time when we could believe England could go all the way in the Euros on home soil. Shearer and Shenigan were brilliant. I mean, York at the way Sheringham pulled apart the Dutch defence in the in the build up to the first goal, it was it was breathtaking stuff then. And as I said last time round, um, the only team I I think that can compare to that in terms of any overall performance was probably the current Barcelona team. Yeah, no, it's a very popular choice and one we will talk very much in depth. I keep saying it on this, but we will do the Euro '96 podcast before the end of the season, just in time for the kind of the 20th anniversary. So we will talk about that game. Finally, then, um, Graham, we're giving you a new subject, which I'm going to give to uh, all of the regulars that come on once we've done the kind of the main things, and it's kits. Because yes, I love kits. So, favorite Wolves kit of the '90s? Yeah, I've got to go for the uh, one that they wore between 96 and 98, which was first Wolves kit manufactured by Puma, and it had a Wolves head on the uh, on the yes. front. Yeah. With the gold Wolves head with the black trimmings, um, and it certainly made me forget the infamous tyre track Q 
kit from a few years ago, which if you ever if you ever go back and look at Wolves kits, have a look for one that they wore about uh, sort of 91, 92. Wolves were sponsored by Goodyear throughout the 90s and they actually had Tyrim prints (laughs) across the shirt and it was dreadful. But it's one of those kits that's become so bad that it's, it's now brilliant. Yeah, it, now it's I love those items. Kits. Essentially, <laughs> <laughs> it's up yeah. there with the Bird Poo Nor- Norwich kit and the Banana Bruce Banana Arsenal one as well. So, but yeah, if you could pick another kit, then not a Wolves one. What would you say that the best kit for you of the nineties was? Nineties. Oh man, the, the, I was trying to think about this earlier. I love the United kit from the early nineties. The with the with the lace up because of the fact that that's the the kit I I, I remember United wearing when I used to admire them from afar Um, I always think think about Ryan Giggs wearing that shirt but my favourite one of the 90s and it's a bit bit of a curveball on this one but I'm going to go to France 98 and pick out Croatia oh okay um, just because of the fact that it was uh, their first tournament since they'd broken away from Yugoslavia and I think they made a big statement by having the flag on the uh, having the flag on the sleeve of the shirt and also just with their performance in that tournament, it was just phenomenal. And it, it, it's something I fondly remember. Yeah, they, they, I mean, they're lucky, Croatia, because I think the new night kit is very nice because that checkboard pattern, I mean, it, it's brilliant, but it's also difficult. I've, we have the same at QPR where we always have to do the hoops. Well, apart from this season when Knight decided to break them up, but it's hard to kind of make it quite different. But I think they did the first one in 98, you're right, was brilliant. I think the new one's very nice as well. So always a good kit for Croatia but we're going to move on and I'm literally rubbing my hands with glee because we're going to talk toys and games and and as a a big action figure person as I was as a kid and sadly still am as my wife will testify it's great to talk about this subject especially in the 90s Um, but we can't start anywhere but the a kind of brand that's that goes beyond the 90s before and after and that's the Butio Um, it's probably the most popular and well-known brand when it comes to this subject um so let's let's turn to the guys graham you, this is the first thing you mentioned to me when i said you about coming on the pod so let's, let's start with you uh, what are your memories from playing sabutio as a kid taking far longer to set the whole thing up than i should <laughs> play the game. um yeah I've, I've got to start there but um my, my parents got me my first sabutio set uh christmas probably 91 because the first two teams I, I got were the FA Cup teams from that year, which were Forest and Spurs. Yeah, and uh, I remember I, I remember playing with them, and there, there was like a, a horrible moment when uh, one of the players dropped on the floor, tried to look for it, and then you hear that crunch that you only heard with the uh, Sabutio players, and you're a man down. <laughs> you'd have to go to you'd have to go to the shop and buy one of the uh, blank players and try and paint it or colour it in to make it look like uh, one of the um, one of the uh, players um, that's supposed to be on your side. But at that point, um, my dad gave me some of his old team. So I got like, walls from the, uh, from, from the eighties where they, they had a really good kit in 1980. And that, that was one of the teams that I had at the time. And uh, then from then on, I seemed to buy two or three teams every year. And I got the grandstand at one point, yeah. which, um, you know, I love, love putting the stickers on that. And, but, it was just how infuriating it was to actually get the game set up and you'd spend far longer doing that than actually playing. Yeah, and it actually goes back to all the way to 1947, Sabutio. Um, a guy called Peter Andolf invented it, uh, who lived in Tunbridge Wells, actually, not too far from where I live now. Um, so it, it came a long way. I mean, But I think the 90s, it really started to become really kind of over powering all the things you can get richard i remember all the accessories you could get for for in the 90s were you a guy that played sabutio and had all that well i was a bit of a late comer to the, the, the actual sabutio game um it was always in and around my life obviously i had a fascination with the kits there was um a toy store in Liverpool city center called bc's and every time the new kits came out you'd go down you'd have a look at them and you'd marvel at them i mean i, I didn't actually play sabutio until probably the late 90s i got the um the uh, box with the lead Sampdoria the Matika tournament yeah, kit yeah. Um, to be honest I don't know if it was a little bit too late in life but I kind of wasn't big on it um, but I mean I was the, the facets of it were really were really interesting to me I mean the trophies were, were mad I mean I had a friend who was so big on Tributo that he'd have the Premier League trophy um, he's a Liverpool fan so it's probably the closest we're going to get to it <laughs> but um yeah, everything. The amount of detail and the amount of knickknacks that you could get. You obviously had the scoreboards, the floodlights, the um, the stands, the television. 
dugouts even. I mean, it was it was remarkable. And um, I actually the first in, well the first time I actually encountered Sabutio was on about my ninth birthday. My grandmother gave me a replica Sabutio FA Cup trophy um, in the year that Liverpool lost the FA Cup final. I think it was meant to be as a sort of uh, celebratory gesture and backfired on her but um, but yeah the kits were always remarkable the detail is yeah. absolutely breathtaking I mean even when you see people doing them today they're nowhere near what they were I mean every nook and cranny every little um, squiggle on every logo I mean Liverpool's logo was quite complex with the Carlsberg um, typeface and they managed to get that down to a T on, on the new kits as well so I always had a fascination about it but never really actively played it. We were always over football games and the video game thing was taken off around the same time. So I think I was yeah. drawn more to that. No, I'm, I'm slightly with you, actually. I mean, I had sets and, and and kind of accessories, but I wasn't never a massive player of it. And I think the flicking of it used to get on my nerves. And I, I think I used to have a friend who was one of those annoying people who used to pick up the players and hit the ball with them, which is clearly not how you play Sabutio. But um, Mike, I remember also the pitch you had. You'd get that massive pitch that you used to have for iron. Were you a fan of, of Sabutio? Yeah, so I was just having flashbacks of going to BTs because like, I used to collect a lot of stuff. <laughs> so I spent a lot of time in there. Um, that's the third. I, I mentioned BTs in my intro. So that's the third yeah. mention for that. So well done, BTs. They're doing well. <laughs> Um, no, I remember begging my mum and dad for the pitch and well, I wanted the stadium. I never got the stadium, but I did get the pitch. Um, and yeah, it was just uh, kind of the same thing. It's just setting it up and getting it out and like in the living room. Um, you know, obviously I had, I had the United team. I had, uh, I'd kind of the Arsenal team as well. The only problem I found with Sabutio is if you've got a little brother, if you've got a little brother, he doesn't like to look after Sabutio players. So a lot of them got broken. Um, but I loved it. I think it's, it, I don't know if it still has a place now, but at that time, I absolutely loved it. Uh, but yeah, I did not love kind of setting it up at all. No, it was, it was a big pain. It was a, there was a brilliant um, picture in the book that we did as well of uh, Lee Dixon playing Sabutio with Sonny Pike. I don't know if that's a name that you guys remember, but it was meant to be the next big yeah. thing at one point. Some, yeah. He played for Ajax or something yeah. like that. Um, but yeah, that says it all about how you, know, you can time Sabutio. But I think the only rival Sabutio had, and again, it was something that came out in the 80s, but kind of flowed through the 90s, was a, a game called Tommy Super Cup Football. Um, I'm going to plump for Richard here and say, what do you remember about that game? Quite a lot more than Sabutio, I've got to be honest. This was um, my first real football toy in terms of games. Um, I think it was about Christmas 94 I got it, and um it lasted for a good few years after that as well. It became a, it was one of those games that it was remarkable because it was so crappy. Yeah, it was so brilliant. It, you yeah. know, it, and it sounded it, like a Hoover. It, it sounded like a faulty lawnmower to me. Yeah. Um, it sounded like someone like, got stuck in my dad's lawnmower. Um, but it was a brilliant game, and it was you know it was interchangeable. It was the sort of thing that you could play with the whole family. You know, you could have it over Christmas or over the holidays. You know, I think I ended up actually my mum is. Not massively into football. I mean, she's she likes football, but she was actually quite a big, big fan of the game, which was um, showed how uh, adaptable it was. And as I say, it lasted for a good few years. I don't know if you remember the uh, the stand which had the detachable um, compartment where the yeah. balls were. were yeah. that was. Um, actually, it, I actually ended up using that as a um, for a, a stand of its own. I actually ended up using it as a makeshift foundations for a, a Lego stand later in, in life. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was it was so basic, but yeah, so brilliant. It was remarkable, and probably I'd say probably the one of the fonder toys of the nineties for me. Yeah, Mike, do you remember it as well? Like the the figures used to be quite flimsy though, and again, like Richard mentioned, you if you broke one in that compartment, there was a spare one always waiting for you, wasn't there? Um, I wasn't as familiar with this. I mean, um, I, when you kind of mentioned it, I, it's something that kind of I probably missed. Um, so I, yeah, it's not something that I kind of picked up on uh, that time. I think it was kind of more kind of with the Sabutio stuff. I kind of got quite obsessed with that. So <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with that. But I, I, I urge you to go and find one on eBay because it was <laughs> such a brilliant game. Like Richard said, it's naff, but it is brilliant. But Graham, were you a fan of Tommy or were you still in Sabutio? No, no, I played Tommy as well. Um, it was like you said, the motors, the thing that I remember the most because it was just like it was that loud when you when you played it. Um, it was it, it was almost at the point where I attempted to play it without the motor running because of the fact the noise used to so uh, loud, deafen me that much. But uh, no, no, I've got fond memories of those. And you, 
you still see them pop up every now and again, um, like on um, on eBay, like you say. And there seems to be um, the other thing I'll say about the Subutio team as well is the fact there's still quite a market for those at the moment. There's a lot yeah. of people they've sort of turned into collectibles now rather than uh, rather than toys. So the, the, they still both um, both games still have a massive cult following. Yeah, well, Subutio. I mean, working for a kids magazine, he's having a bit of a, a comeback at the moment. This kind of team themed sets that they can get and i know they did some stuff with john barnes to relaunch it um last year so they are trying to do it and they still do like the world cup and things like that guys can and who are brilliant at it so it is still going which is pleasing to see i remember the theme usa 94 themed set that's going back i've got that and also again i'll, I'll put a lot of this on twitter uh, later on so you can see all these things that we we're talking about especially tommy supercut my football because that's sitting next to me as well which is quite sad but i've also got the trophies as richard mentioned earlier from sabutio the, the premier league uh, the champions league and the fa cup just sitting next to me as well so i'll put them on on twitter later but let's move on slightly and talk about uh, action figures because uh, there was a few sets in the 90s we'll start chronologically and talk um the first one which is one that i find that people don't really remember and then you tell them about it and it starts flowing back um they were called sports stars they were who they were made for by kenner and tonka it's kind of a bit of a mystery how the two companies um kind of made it up to who to do it because some sets were released by kenner some were by by tonka and there were some european sets and some big collections uh, online that you can find but um let's start with, with you richard do you remember the sports stars range i do yeah i actually um funny enough i actually received one of the um one of the, the figures in the 90s a friend of mine um lived in Leeds at the time, friend of the family, and he actually gave me the David Platt one. Um, which is one which of is, the worst ones, it has to be said as well. It doesn't well, it look is, like but it. it. it's probably more, in terms of the actual aesthetics of it, it's probably one of the more appealing ones. It's not quite, um, you know, someone looking like the breaking winds mid-air <laughs> and that sort of thing. So I don't think it's the, I don't think it's the worst. It's it, but look, I mean, they were sold as lifelike figures, as um, our guest will actually talk about. We'll, we'll speak to in a minute. We'll tell you, but some of them were terrible. And David Platt's one of them. I think Nigel Clough is pretty bad. I think Nigel Clough's got brown hair, which for me, I've always thought he had more black locks than brown. Um, but Michael, do you, do you remember these guys? I remember them definitely, but uh, I remember for the bad reasons. They were terrible. I mean, <laughs> they. Yeah, I mean, it was probably one of the few things I didn't collect. Um, yeah, just purely because you know they they didn't look like who they were supposed to be. So um, so yeah, it was definitely one that I uh, I kind of avoided um, during that time. Mm. I always remember the goalkeepers who who were on like full on diving pose mode. I had I think I had Nigel Spink and, and yeah, Bruce, I had Nigel Spink. Yeah, <laughs> Bruce Robillard as well. They were they were good. So who else did you have then, Graham? You, you, in your little collection then? Well, uh, they were international, yes. and yeah. I went to uh, went to France as a kid. And I actually bought back Glenn Hoddle, played for okay. Monaco at the yeah. time. Of course, this was long before Glenn Hoddle destroyed my life uh, as manager of Wolves. But <laughs> it's, um, that, 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 those are the two that I remember in particular. I had Nigel Spink and, uh, and Glenn Hoddle in his Monaco get-up. Yeah, they, they, they have lots of European ones. The uh, the Maradona one in his Napoli kit, um, which is kind of bordering 80s and 90s, but that's a very popular one. And the Rud Hullet in the AC Milan one. I had quite a few of the England range, and I always remember going um, on a little trip down to the shops where I'm not, I'm not going to be very old here with, with my parents. And, and I took my Gary Lineker figure with me, because as you do when you're a kid, you always take whatever you're into with you. It's not leaving the house. And I lost it. I was absolutely gutted, and for weeks afterwards, I moaned and moaned and moaned about this Gary Lineker figure that a looked nothing like him, and b I didn't really I had others, but it was all about Gary Lineker at the time. And eventually, I did replace him. But that was an early scarring of, of losing figures on on the Tonka range. Um, before we move on and talk about some other figures, and obviously the Corinthian range, which dominated the nineties, let's talk to today's guest because he was part of that Sports Stars range by Tonka. He'll tell you about it. In, towards the end of the interview but he also played for Aston Villa and Wolves as well Graham so you'll be interested to hear this um it's former defender Derek Mountfield talking to us earlier today Derek Mountfield welcome to Alive and Kick-In thank you for joining us today no problems at all uh, we're going to take you back to the 90s and, and the beginning of the decade you were at Aston Villa um very different from the club that especially this season we know now um before we talk about the 90s how do you feel about Villa this season and uh, uh, what's going on at the club well, my, my take is it, it looks like it's had the heart and soul bit out of the club. Um, there's a lot of people there who don't seem interested in playing in the in the famous Claret and Blue. Um, and I feel so for the fans. I've been down two or three times this season, uh, and I speak to a lot of friends down there, and, and they're, they're they're resigned now. 
um, to play in Championship football next year, and it's probably the wrong time ever to go the Premier League. And the money this year is and next year is bigger than ever. And uh, Villa have certainly underperformed massively on the field of play, and I think it stems from the uncertainty upstairs with with, with the, the owner trying to sell the club. Um, and over the last four or five years, it's been a a gradual steady decline and they've been struggled now for three or four years and I really feel for the fans especially because it's a great club great support I had a wonderful time what, three and a half years down there in the early late 80s early 90s and I do feel for the, for the fans because it's not going to be easy to come straight back up next season Yeah, let's take you back to when you were at the club Then, how, what sort of club were Villa then in the early 90s because they came close they had a couple of close runs at the title as well how different was, was the club when you were there? Well, I joined in 88, one of 88, they'd just come back up, they got relegated uh, and they came back up from the then League 2 into the League 1 as it was then. Um, and I joined and, you know, Graham Taylor had, had redeveloped the, the squad and had some good promising youngsters and needed a bit of an old head. And I came in and, if I'm honest, I struggled my first season, then had a, a really good second season when uh, we pushed Liverpool really close for the title. And... Uh, lost it by I think it was nine points but there was, wasn't that much of a gap between the two clubs and we finished second in 1990 and then Graham Teller moved on to England and uh, we struggled again after that so I had, had three great years there and at those times they were, they were a club that had, had won European Cup foot, uh, champ, European Cup about eight or nine years prior to that and then suffered a relegation very soon after the, 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 the famous victory of them bounced back and Graham Taylor had a really good spirit, really good group of players, and we really worked hard with each other and, and, and pulled in the right direction. And you know, unfortunately, as it happens a lot in in life, especially in football, new managers come in, and, and you know your your time is up when the new manager comes in. And that happened with me when when Atkins arrived, I knew very quickly, like a lot of the players did, that Rom was bringing his own group of players in, and we all moved on. But great affection for the club, um, always looking out for the results and. Uh, uh, to this season I'm very disappointed with what's happened What was Graham Taylor like to play under because his 90s kind of CV is tainted by what happened with his, with England and the failure to qualify for 1994 but for Villa he did so well and what was he like to play under oh, I loved him I thought he was brilliant he, he, he treated people with respect he treated people as adults and you know he's got this very dour long ball um image but you know we played some really attractive football play three at the back and attacking wing backs and you know and, and, and he loved he loved the social side you know our Kendall was very similar to Everton and he loved the team spirit the camaraderie and Graham was the same and he developed a really really good team spirit and then he was probably the most successful English born manager at the time and he was chosen rightly or wrongly I think looking back he might he might have a tinge of regret as I'm sure he missed working with the players day in, day out. That was his strength. He loved being around the players, you know, laughing and joking, developing people, working on weaknesses to make them strengths, etc. And I think he missed that, only having the players together every two or three months for four or five days. But, you know, his, his record as a manager is there to be you know, to shot down. He, you know, he, he struggled a bit at times, but saying that, you know, did he get, did he get a fair crack of the referee's whistle now and again in one or two of the results? If we'd have qualified for Europe for the World Cup in ninety, but it could have been totally different. But you know, he took the job, and um, if I'm honest, I, I think he he missed that that involvement of being around players constantly, which which is one of his strengths. Mm. You mentioned Ron Atkinson, obviously that kind of brought your spell. But what was he like as a manager? Because he's looking on the outside in, he's such a flamboyant character. Someone very nineties as well. You, you don't really get those sort of type of manager anymore. What was Ron like to play under for that short time? Well, I only played uh, two games under him, and then he um, he booted me out of the team basically. So uh, <laughs> I've not got fond memories of Ron as a manager. Um, uh, if you weren't in his in his plans, he he didn't really want you in the club. Mm. Um, so he made life difficult for quite a few of the players who who'd been there under the the Graham Taylor, Joseph Englosh era. So uh, as a manager, I didn't get a fair crack of the whip off Ron. But saying that, you know what Ron would do if he. If you didn't figure in his plans, he, he'd move you on straight away. He wouldn't sit, sit in reserves for weeks and weeks and months and months. He'd try and move you on, which he did to most of the players. But as a manager, Ron, Ron and I didn't really get on. But I see him now on the golf course and he's a different character. <laughs> I bet, yeah. You mentioned Joseph Engloss there. Yeah, that's a, a random 90s name. I remember when that happened. It was a bit of an odd kind of appointment, wasn't it? The doctor. What was, what was he like from the inside of Villa Park? 
Uh, it's one of them things where when we, we were away, I think either in Sweden or Switzerland on a, a pre-season tour and one of the reporters tapped on the dugout and said, oh, your new manager's so-and-so. And we all went, who's he? <laughs> we hadn't heard of Joseph Bengos. We didn't know who he was. Um, he came in with this reputation as being a, a fantastic technical coach, worked for way for the Czech national team, etc. And his knowledge of the game was, was fantastic. I couldn't fault his knowledge of the game. He introduced a lot of plyometrics, different types of training methods, different you know, eating methods, etc. But his biggest problem is he really couldn't talk the language. He couldn't hold a conversation um, and explain what he wanted. We, we had one or two sessions where he's he's talking away and we're all going, what's he talking what, what's he trying to, we don't know what he's trying to get us to do. And we'd asked one or two of the coaches and they didn't have any ideas really. His biggest problem was the language issue. We see more and more of it now with the, the, the premiership and foreign managers coming in and the language issue is difficult. And I think mean, that was Joseph's biggest problem. Also, when, when we were when we were playing roughly the same side that had finished second the year before and we weren't having a great time and the team very, very rarely changed. So you, you knew regardless what you did, you were playing the week before when he really needed to start saying, right, you, you, you you're out mm. the side and putting these three people in and changing it a little bit. And he didn't change the team often enough. To, but looking back at it now, 20 or 30 years later on, he didn't change the team enough. He, he should have made more more changes and, and, and ruffled a few feathers to make players play better. But we got into that little stagnant routine of the same things all the time and we, we never change. And you get into a little bit of a rut, which we did that year, if I'm honest. And we, we, we struggled that season and Joseph took us away to, where did we go? Um, Kuala Lumpur in the Far East, that sort of area. And came back by a check as a back year to Prague Airport. He got off the plane, never to be seen again. So um, we never never got to say goodbye to Joseph. He got off the plane in Prague and disappeared. So I haven't seen him since. Wow. Oh, wow. The doctor, right? Well, you moved on to to Wolves um, in 1991. What do you remember about your time at Molyneux? Again, it was one of them. Uh, I've been with Ron. Ron had said, uh, you know, you're not going to play much. So I got the chance to go on loan purely again to to start playing football again. So I went on loan for two months to Wolves and walked into Molyneux the first day and I played there many a time in the past. We knew it was an old battered ground, but Jack Haber had come in and started investing money into it and they started to build one new stand and they knocked half the old stand down. And I saw the, the redevelopment of Molyneux coming through from, from an early 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 stage of its redevelopment. And good little setup there. You know, mm-hmm. we, we didn't have a training ground but we then managed to find a, a little bit of a, a little old hockey club to train in and Graham Turner was there as the manager and we we were mulling along, doing okay, and then we had a, a couple of games where we we lost a bit of confidence and we got beat away at Portsmouth. And um, we came back home from Portsmouth, and then Chairman Jonathan Haywood caused a bit of a stink on the bus, and he stopped the bus before Molyneux and gave us all a dressing down. And the following day, came Turner went to be replaced by Graham Taylor. Months later, um, I was asked what I thought of Graham, and told him what the what, what he could do for the club, and. Unfortunately, it was his first job after the England job, mm. and a lot of the fans didn't want him there. And I think a lot of fans will look back and say, if we'd give him a bit more of a time, maybe we'd seen a, a different move because he needed time to redevelop the club and the playing staff. And he did that by releasing a lot of players, and one of them being me. So within four or five, well, about three months of Graham coming in, I, I was on my way again looking for another club. But, you know, he needed a bit more time at, at the Wolves, and I'm sure he'd have turned it round. But uh, he started the process, and other people come on and take, uh, have taken it on since then. Mm. As a defender in, in that era, who were the sort of players you uh, you didn't you relish come up against, and, and the best kind of strikers you, you played against in the sort of early nineties? Well, well, as a big six foot one, six foot two, mm. tall centre half, I loved the, the the big fights, the battles against the taller players. So I made my debut in eighty three against Mick Arthur, and every time I played against Mick Arthur, he, he seemed to leave his mark. He always <laughs> seemed to leave his mark on me. Um, in one way, whether it be a stamp on me or a punch or an elbow or a, so I always had a mark off Mick. But uh, those sort of players, I love those sort of fights and scraps. And um, but then you moved into the the, the early nineties, and, and the Mark Hughes was there for many years, and Ian Wright were coming onto the scene. There was lots and lots of very good strikers around in those days, mm-hmm. and um, we we don't see as much of the really top English strikers that we used to see in those days because there's too many well not too many there's a lot of foreign players coming in now and are they stopping some of our good youngsters coming through but in those days like to be in right you know Mark Hughes I played against Dan Bleach and Rush were two phenomenal footballers 
Mick Harper was a strong aggressive. John Fashion was big and aggressive. The Dean Saunders were coming through. There was lots of good players. And we had one at Wolves who I played against when I was at Villa, a lad called Steve Bull, yeah, who at that level was magnificent. Yeah. And he knew where the goal was, but he had, a, he had an aggression and a, and a desire to, to work hard and, and to score goals. And I don't think Bully ever got the, the true credit he, he mm. deserved from other people because he, he was a one-club man. He stayed in Wolves and never played in the Premier or the top-flight football. But uh, he's a legend down at Molyneux and a, and a good friend. And But he was you know, played against him. It's not until you train with him and play with him week after week, you realise he's actually a better player than people gave him credit for. Mm. Finally, before we go, we, we spoke to you on Twitter earlier, which was about, because uh, we're talking figures and uh, toys and collections tonight. There was a famous figure of you during the early 90s. Uh, with the passion of I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it's a famous picture <laughs> of me. <laughs> How weird is it for for a footballer like yourself to have that kind of? Because those figures were brilliant. I remember them very vividly. I had quite a few of them. I've still got them sitting in my office. How weird is it for you to have a figure of yourself? Oh, I found it very strange. I, I honestly <laughs> can't remember how it came about. Um, I just remember getting a phone call off somebody, and I don't know. I think there was three players or two players from each club that were picked, and. And somebody chose me, and they said it's going, to, it's going to be a real, real likeness. Or they were just painting moustache on me, and put a bit of dark <laughs> hair on. In fairness, me. there was more likeness um, to yours than a couple of the others. I think some of them just didn't like them at all. Your tash really helped. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the tash hides a multitude of sins. That's why I got rid of it many years ago. Uh, it, it is quite strange. In fact, I think I've, I think I've still got one somewhere in the house. I don't know whereabouts, and it's still an original package and everything else. And it just seems strange when that picture. I saw that picture before my, 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 my tweet was. That's the closest I ever got to tackling Maradona. Um, <laughs> yeah, they did that but, quite well with you next to Maradona, didn't they? Yeah, you know, maybe if we'd been playing 86 and Matt stopped and scored on that goal, you never know. You never know, yeah. <laughs> what are you up to these no, Me, um, I, I left football, what, 15, 15 years ago now. And in 2002, at the age of 40, I went to university and got myself a sports science degree. Um, and I got that in 05. And since then, I've been working with um, school children in schools as a sports coach and I've moved into special educational needs coaching now so we do a lot of work with kids with autism and Down syndrome looking after their motion their movement and their sports games and I'm having a ball all the time really really enjoying it it's a, it's a very rewarding job um, I'm not putting anything back I do it because I enjoy it and mm. I've got a really good rapport with the children and uh, I, I always amazed at how much they, they give you back um, and that's what people have to understand the word is disability, just get the dis out of it and let's see what you can do, not what you can't do. And too many children, unfortunately, that, oh, we can't or they can't do this. They can do it. They just need showing how they can do it. And it's I always find it amazing how much they, they come out and they, they develop and they blossom. And uh, I said, I've done that now for six or seven years. And uh, every time I go in there, it's it's I look forward to it. I really do enjoy it. It's not one of those jobs where... Some people wake up morning and go, and they go, oh, no, I've got to go in the office today. My office is a sports hall with mm. equipment and children who are giving me everything they possibly can, and I'm having a fantastic time doing that at the moment. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for talking to us, Derek. It's been great speaking to you. No problem, Sasha. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Okay, thanks. Bye. bye. Good stuff there. And, and as Derek said, he, those figures looked nothing like them, even though his one did because of that nice tash that he had. Brilliant 90s tash for Derek there. Great memories. So let's talk more figures. And yes, we're going to move into Corinthians. And they were the figures of the 90s. They kind of dominated much, pretty much the sort of latter of the 90s. Uh, the first range was launched for Euro 96. Um, that's when the first figures come out. Um, I remember the first time I saw them. I think they one came in free in Soccer Stars magazine. I think the first one I ever got was Paul Ince. Um, I think he was the free one. And inside the magazine, they had like a spread on these figures. And I was like hyperventilating, thinking, oh, my God, I need to get these. But, Mike, you mentioned these because we had you on, on our stickers pod earlier in the season. And we mentioned these before pre-show because we were going to talk about them. Um, Corinthian figures, I mean, they they were the thing, weren't they? I absolutely love these things. I mean, it's such a weird thing. I mean, they don't really do anything, but I mean, it was something about the kind of like the, the, the huge heads, the kind of, I, I absolutely terrorized my mum and dad's guy at weekends to try and go and get me, get me new ones. Um, but, um, I, but some of my friends used to swap them, but I was, I wasn't kind of into that. I, oh, I, was, no. very, I was very intent on kind of building my like best 11 or like squads, um, but yeah, no, I absolutely love them. 
Yeah, they were brilliant. That year in 96, first collection as well. I mean, it's included the big names, of course, like Alan Shearer, the great Terry Venables uh, figure as well. But it had people like David Unsworth and and Gary Pallister and people who didn't actually go to United Six. I think they were predicting the squad a bit wrong there. But Richard, do you you remember the Corinthian figures? What are your highlights from that range? Well, I mean, I think probably the first encounter with them was uh, a bit of a low ice, actually. I ended up buying one from a a local news agency. I didn't think they'd... They'd be available from there, I think. But um, I ended up with um, Jamie Pollock, the middle of the player. <laughs> so probably not the best one. And then my second go, I tried... Because they were always in packs. They were always in these... Um, Blister packs like, that you couldn't see, yeah. Yeah. And then the second one was um, Gavin Peacock from Chelsea. The, obviously, the... Uh, I think he's the guy who's gone a bit evangelical these yes, days. Yes, he is. But, yeah, he's, um, a, he's a minister in Canada now, yeah. Yeah. Uh, said about him, the better. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I ended up building a bit of a collection. Um through Liverpool players and my parents obviously got me the set and then I, I kind of got it as a sort of every time I'd, I'd got a good report to school I'd end up getting one and then I kind of realised when it, when it got a bit of birthday money I went oh, sod I'll just buy them all off them so uh, they made a bit of money out of me on that one um, but it was always strange with the um, with the figures because they never really changed appearance the players always no matter what hairstyle changed no matter how the, how the facial expressions changed if they put a, a beard on or not you'd always have the same figure in the same appearance as they first started. Yeah, the Gaza one's kiss. really weird. The Gaza one that started in Euro 96 has got, I mean, Gaza went through a very quick phase of dyeing his hair jet black, and I think it happened to coincide with these figures. So the Gaza figure, for a long time, had jet black hair, which was kind of random because it didn't really last long. So I think you're right on that. They only, tend, they only tended to actually sharpen up the features. I seem to remember um, the Steve Manimal one, he went from having dreadlock um, <laughs> hairstyle to having it. I can only describe in the space of a season how lions mean. Um, and it just seemed a bit of a strange one. But um, it's funny you mentioned about the uh, the England players and who did and didn't make it because the, a lot of them are quite collectible now. Yeah. The, the players in the England kits. In the, in the club strips, they're not, as, um, they're not as sought after. But in the England kits, there's some players that are quite, um, that are quite highly sourced. Yeah, they are. There are. They're, they're all about the random ones, though, weren't they? Graham, did you collect any random figures from the Corinthian range like Jamie Pollock? <laughs> I had Les Ferdinand. Oh, wait, he's not random. Three <laughs> times, though. When I, when I, when around, about, around about the time when I was trying to collect the England squad, I got Les Ferdinand three bloody times. <laughs> and the big thing I remember about him was his smile because his teeth were about the same size as the rest of his head, I think. It was, um, well, I've got a um, reprint, actually, that I bought on eBay. Someone painted the Newcastle. No, it was the, yeah, you're right. It's the England figure in a QPR 92-93 uh, kit, and it's brilliant. But you're right, the smile is huge. Yeah. Um, I can't. I can't remember any of the uh, the random ones. I think I. I think I was only um, had England players. I definitely had the Ints one, but I don't really remember the uh, the club players. I must have had one free with either match or shoot at the time, but um, it, for some reason it hasn't stuck in my head. Mm. But by, I mean, um, I had Yaboa. I remember that. Oh, he, that's uh, a great one. He was up front for me when I used to set them up in formations. And Janino, I think, was another one as well. Uh, I kind of remember. Um, and Rude Hillett. Rude Hillett was definitely the... Uh... These big dreadlocks, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've got a couple sitting on myself. And I've got Janino as well. Steve Stone is sitting on my shelf for some random <laughs> reason, um, along with uh, my favourite uh, Corinthian figure, which is the Alexi Lalas figure that's got the USA 94 kit, which I think actually came out kind of in the noughties but as a, as a throwback, but it's still obviously a brilliant 90s memento. But by the end of the decade, if you're looking at where around World Cup 98, it really did explode, Mike. Do you remember the massive ones they started to bring out, the, the, the kind of larger versions of the England players? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, I don't think I had as many of those. I think, uh, I think I was kind of out, almost kind of phasing out of my collecting phase. But um, yeah, I mean, I... I didn't. I didn't see those as as being as popular as the as the kind of first first ones. I don't know what you think. I, I think there was only a few of them as well. I think it was yeah. only kind of three or four. I think I've got. I think David Seaman was definitely one of them. Possibly Alan Shearer, but they just tried to cash in. I mean, I've, there's a picture in the book of the collector's yearbook from 1999. You can just see how, by that point how many different figures they were doing, different clubs, different countries. There were so many by that point, and I always remember being part of the yeah fan club. I remember those fan clubs, and they used to send you kind of the newsletter in the post. I used to open it and try and see who they've got next, and some of the figures. 
started to actually change. Like Richard said, they were quite periods were quite the same. But by the end of the nineties, they started to change. And I always remember Titi Camera of Liverpool having a brilliant figure because he was such a random player as well. Um, I've got the first kind of set in front of me on, on here a picture as well. And I mean, they've got some big names like you know your Robbie Fowler, your Ryan Giggs, but there's also Jamie Marino of Middlesbrough, one for Joe Young there, um, a Dion Dublin figure, Jim McGilton. Um, there's some really yeah. I, Andy Clark of Wimbledon, Brian Dean, Brian Roy. There's it's some great names there, and uh, all got their own little figures. I've got the QPR ones, which was Andy MP, Alan McDonald, Kevin Gallen, and Gary Penrice, which were brilliant. But as, before we move on, have you, Mike, have you got a favourite Corinthian figure from that era? Um, I tell you what, I was. I think maybe Dwight York. What Dwight York was one that. <laughs> that was one of the first ones I wanted. I mean, my folks are from my folks are from Trinidad, so it was like that was a good. Uh, that was one of the first ones on the list for me. So, yeah, I'll go with York. Yeah, definitely. Richard, how about you? Favourite Corinthian? Um, I think probably mine would be from the, the 98 World Cup. I don't know if you remember when, um, as you say, they, they would start to do in different countries. I don't know if you yeah. remember. They slimmed down the base of the of the, um, of the the international ones and just had it, you know, when the base was quite uh, solid and quite uh, clunky with quite an old font on it. Yeah, they, yeah. they slimmed it down, um, and some of the players that they had were, were remarkable. Obviously, France won it and had that iconic kit with the um, the stripes on it. Um, but the one that stick out for me was uh, Frank Leboeuf. Oh, yeah. the uh, the Chelsea defender. I don't know if you if you actually. I mean, I've got a figure in, in my parents' house somewhere. But um, if you actually look at the back of it, he's obviously the shaven-headed player. Um, for some reason, Corinthians made him look like he was a Burns victim. The back of his head looks, <laughs> just looks all blistered, and uh, I don't know what they were trying to do there. But um, yeah, I think I think that's probably for that for that reason alone. That is probably my favourite one. Yeah, that was a good one. Lastly, Graham, go on then. Finish off on Corinthians. What would be your favourite? No, I've just I've just remembered the Frank LeBerth figure now. That was one I definitely <laughs> had. As a kid. Um, it's coming back to me now. Um, I think I think the one I always remember though is Peter Beardsley because his hair his hairstyle was just. <laughs> exactly like his hairstyle in real life and uh, the attention to detail on that was just superb I think the Frank LeBeouf one and that there was a range that came with tea bags Does, I don't know if anyone recalls they totally tea yeah. 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 yeah yeah and there was I had Colin Hendry about three times if I remember rightly and that just, was it because they were all different uh, European players weren't they yeah that was really, right yeah. really random yeah but it was a good Right, we're going to finish on figures with um, another a kind of a range where people kind of forget, and then you mention it, as I said, about the, the Tonka figures. These are called Super Soccer Heroes. That obviously took them very long to name those, and they were much bigger than any figures that we'd seen in the 90s. There was only a few of them. They were made by Hasbro. Um, Mike, was this someone something you remembered as well? Um, I, I'm not as familiar with this, to be honest. Um, I think that it was, kind of, it was quite late, wasn't it? We're looking at uh, 97 now, yeah. So it, it, it's showing up who sad people like me who are still collecting <laughs> figures and guys like you are probably out and, and doing what you should be doing at, at that age. <laughs> How about you, Richard? Uh, do you recall these? Yeah, I was actually given one of these um, for one of my birthdays by uh, a school <laughs> friend. It was um, the Robbie Fowler one. I think it was it was interesting because it was um, it was an ornamental object, but like with the, um, the sports stars, it was sold as... as, as the guys are being a toy, but um, what I remember most about them is I actually saw a few in a, a memorabilia store um, recently, and um, I can't believe that the, that the value of them they seem to have, have jumped up about three times in value, but um, it's interesting what they actually led to, because about a year later, I don't know if you remember this, there was um, another figure came out, the Premier Power Play. Yeah, yeah, um, kind of more goal-like figures, weren't they? Basically Barbie well. and football boots, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, but the Super Shock Heroes seem to be the sort of the next step between Kenner and between whatever power play was, to be honest. Mm, I remember the Robbie Fowler one because it had the nose clip, didn't it? Which was a brilliant yeah, attention yeah. to detail at the time. Um, I've still got Gaza and his, in his Rangers kit and Dennis Burkamp sitting on my shelf because um, I've always been a bit of a Burkamp fan as well. But Graham, are these something you're familiar with? Yeah, there's there's one of Steve Bull and my favourite Wolves kit. So yeah, it's uh, that 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 would be the only one that I've probably had um, at any point. But I've obviously kept hold of that one because back in those days, to see Wolves on the shelves in any shop in uh, in toy form just didn't happen. So it was uh, kept as a kept as a souvenir, really. 
Yeah, it, it, well, it's very. You missed out on the Corinthians, didn't you, old Wolves? To I know, the 90s. I know. Yeah, I mean, a mate Steve Ball one, but no, these figures were. Yeah, well, again, I'll put these on Twitter later. There was also Peter Schmeichel in that memorable purple Man United goalkeeper kit. Um, there was a couple of Roy Keane, uh, Les Ferdinand as well. I've got Ferdinand, but unfortunately, it broke on a, a move into my house, so I was quite devastated by that. Um, Let's move off figures though. I mean, Richard was a good mention there for those power play ones. That was another kind of figures of the 90s that used to move kind of so they could kick the ball a bit and look like a Barbie type feel to them as well. That was another 90s uh, product that was out. Um, we're going to talk about cereal toys now because I, I think kids of today are completely robbed of this joy thanks to the health and safety people. But Mike, do you remember when you used to get toys in your cereal? Oh, definitely. Oh, they were good times. Good times. And we, uh, we mentioned this, didn't we, on the sticker pod the first? The holograms was the first yeah, thing yeah, I wanted to I mention. I absolutely loved those. I mean, you kind, of, you kind of think at that time, you thought they were massively cutting edge. You think about it now, it's quite a basic little hologram. But at the time, I mean, I absolutely, I absolutely loved it. And yeah, like, you know, kids totally miss out now. We're not, you know, not being able to find those things. That, but we're like opening them up and not eating the cereal and just going straight. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I just remember those. And I remember there were some small figures as well uh, that, again, didn't look anything like the players. Themselves. Oh, they were worse. They were the worst. I don't <laughs> think they even had features. They were just kind of slightly moulded figures, weren't they? But yeah. we all jumped on that bandwagon. Yeah, no, absolutely. We mentioned these earlier as well, didn't we, Graham? You, you, just before we come on air about these uh, these serial toy figures. And you remembered having an Alan Shearer one. But as we were saying, it, it didn't really look like him, did it? No, I was a bit confused as to which Blackburn player it actually was at the time. Um, it was um, it's it's one of those things that the kids of today will never appreciate. Just like they'll never appreciate um, three hundred two on CFAX and um, <laughs> things, things like this that are just synonymous with the with, with the nineties. It used to be a case of pretty much every Friday morning after my mum had done the shopping on a Thursday, I'd be raiding a, uh, a box of Frosties that was probably about the same size as me as same size as me at the time for um, either the little wrestling figures or yes. along those lines. And I just remember getting that, uh, getting that Alan Shearer one once and I, I, I was so disappointed. It was unbelievable when they said that there were football figures coming in the cereal and it was just nothing like what I'd hoped. Yeah, I've got a picture here of the, the Red Hullet one, and we talked earlier about the Corinthians and that, that brilliant dreadlocks. He looks like he's wearing a mullet from the 80s. It's a, a terrible kind of mould of them. Um, the other thing that was in cereal, Richard, do you remember the pencil toppers? I do, yeah. Um, they were they were a strange one, to be honest. I mean, the Sugar Puffs Dream Team set was was bizarre in itself, but the toppers were, were really strange because, I mean, it was all of the drawing, you know. There was, more often than not, you'd end up with somebody who you had no affiliation to or didn't even like. I think I ended up with Wimbledon. Um, when I first dug mine out of a cereal packet and then realised I'll have to get another one. And about after the 10th time of trying, I finally got a Liverpool one. Um, so it's it's a bizarre thing, but it was the sort of thing that seemed to do really, really well. And, you know, everyone in school would have one. I mean, there was somebody who had a, a whole 442 lineup on the on the desk <laughs> of the pencil toppers when I was in primary school so it was uh, it was clearly something that caught on but it, I, I really didn't really understand the whole thing of you know having to go through but that that is probably how they get you really the serial companies yeah I remember that everyone in school having them it was kind of like overnight as well it's kind of everyone went to the local supermarket found Kellogg's and and got what they want I had I get getting the West Ham one that was the one that I always seemed to get for some reason I mean QPR weren't in the Premier League at that point so there wasn't no option for me but yeah I always remember getting the the West Ham one as well which was a bit random the last thing I want to talk about and this does not cereal but it kind of works with the food and drink um, was a small range in the 90s um, they were mugs and called Smugs, which I imagine is an S for soccer and put on to make mugs. And they were massive faces, like cartoony faces of footballers stuck onto plastic mugs. Um, Graham, did you have one of these? No, I don't think I did, actually. <laughs> Am I struggling to, uh, struggling to remember them, actually? All right, anyone else? Uh, Mike, Rich, do you remember these? Uh, I remember seeing them in the shop and being too creeped out by them that I didn't. I, didn't <laughs> I was going to say the same. <laughs> it's, I, it's the sort of thing. It, it looks like something from a Stephen King film. It's, <laughs> you wouldn't really want want that looking at you in your bedroom, would you? I've got one sitting on my shelf that's Les Ferdinand and looks at me every day and you're right it is a little bit freaky. <laughs> just look, I'm just looking at that one on eBay now and again it's the massive smile. 
Yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh, he was a smiley guy in the 90s. He had a lot to smile about. Have the biggest smile in football. Yeah. Well, he's not smiling so much these days. I can tell you that from the director's <laughs> box at Loftus Road. So um, a few more things to mention before we wrap things up. Um, there was Richard, I have to ask you about this one. You put it on Twitter earlier. The Ryan Giggs toy, because I'd actually completely forgot about that. And you've, it looks like you've dug it out from an Argos catalogue. Some sort of summer toy, was it? Yeah, it was um, it was a bizarre thing. I've got to say, um, which probably explains why I had it as a kid. But um, it was it was typical nineties cheesy. They had uh, Ryan Giggs on some beats, dancing to some Eurodance song, uh, doing a skill set. Um, and I ended up begging my parents on for my birthday. They wondered why. Um, I can sort of see why now. But um, it was it was a weird thing because it was it's meant to go around your head, and you're meant to be able to wear. Uh, control the ball and, and refine your skill set by using it but I, I my personal fear was that I was going to break my nose with it or or do myself a mischief so I ended up having it either tied around my, my wrist or because I was skinny enough at the time I could tie it around my waist um, I just used it as that and then eventually all the other um, toy makers caught on and, and made it so it just went around your wrist or around your waist and it was kind of um but Ryan Giggs seems to be the one who seems to be spearheading that. Yeah, Ryan Giggs' sunball, it was called. Yeah. Oh, that was the one with the, the uh, sunglasses, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was a really... He did a Kickmaster range as well, if I remember, in the 90s as well, which was kind of like if you hold it and then kick the ball and you, you, it's meant to hone your skills. That was a, another one. I've got a few more to mention, but that, I'll just go around to the guys first to see if there's anything else before I, we wrap things up. Mike, is there anything we haven't covered from toys and games of the 90s you wanted to mention? No, I don't think so. I mean, that's kind of brought back memories, that Ryan Giggs beach ball thing. I wonder if he used that to uh, extend his career. Probably not. Um, but uh, no, I think we've kind of, I think those are the majority of things that I kind of remember from that time. So, yeah, I don't know anything else, really. No, no. It's, it's yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, Richard, have you uh, any more mentions before we, we... I've got a couple more things I can throw out to you guys, but have you got anything else you wanted to, to mention? Yeah, just a couple. Um, not really major ones. We're more about the promotional stuff again. Um, just going back to the Syria one. I don't know if you remember um, Kellogg's Euro ninety six virtual video set. Yeah, the holograms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The um, where the where you had the players doing back heels and and uh, Gary McAllister launching rockets and stuff like that. Um, the other one was I think I don't know if it it probably is covered because obviously you cover it with the, the major tournaments. But the um, the USA ninety four Happy Meal range McDonald's produced was actually. Quite remarkable, if, if I'm honest. Um, I mean, they had the mini balls and they had the uh, the rattle in the shape of the um, the mascot. And I think standard obviously slipped by France '98 because they reduced it to a cheap inflatable kite. Um, <laughs> but kite was, it was awful as well. Oh, it was horrendous. Um, but that's the sort of thing that I mean. It, obviously, it's promotional stuff and it's tied in with major tournaments. But I thought that, I thought that was brilliant, and that was you know an important part of. Of growing up around toys and football. Yeah, I remember the clappers they had for each of them, didn't they? They had the, the USA United, the mascots, and there was like a clapper that no one ever takes yeah. to the football ground, but people seem to keep making them even today. Um, but no, Happy Meals were definitely part of, and powerful tonight. So, Graham, is there anything else you wanted to add before I throw the last few things out? I can't leave this without mentioning Terry Venables, the manager yes. board. <laughs> <laughs> the most complicated ball game of all time? Well, either that or one of the shittest board games of all time. <laughs> I not think which one I prefer to say, but uh, yeah, I just I just seem to remember you had sort of risk and high risk cards, didn't you? Didn't you? Which were like your equivalent to your chance cards in Monopoly, where you'd you'd end up with some disaster, like your centre forward would break their leg or something along those lines to uh, to knock you back in your in, in your task. But I just remember the money with the um, the, the five pound notes with Terry Venable's face on. <laughs> which you don't want to see, <laughs> especially what happened later in the 90s as well. It's exactly. all a bit dodgy, isn't it, allegedly. Um, on that note, because well, that was one I was going to mention, there was always a couple of other ball games as well. The Football League soccer quiz game was one that I had. And again, it's a really random one. I think someone just brought it for me. It's probably It was probably only out for a very short time, but then it just took over my life because it was a quiz game. It had this little plastic set with it that you could move the ball up the pitch if you got a question right. And then if you got one wrong, you moved it down and your opponent had a blue and a red ball at each end. Um, That was always brilliant. I always felt like I was a king the more I played it because I got used to the questions and the answers and things like that. So that was one. Um, Alan Shearer's shootout. Uh, towards the end of the 90s was some sort of board game as well where you kind of blow football type thing. 
uh, jibber jabbers that were very 90s some sort of thing that made noises and when you shook it and stuff so that was another thing and of course there was a, a football themed one and then lastly i was going to mention top trumps of course the classic top trumps they did lots of football ranges in the 90s and i bet that it's something equivalent to the match attacks cards i'd guess now uh, that you see kids play with but yeah they did kind of european club football range strikers range and and so forth but i will put a lot of this on twitter so you can see and reminisce and if we have missed anything i don't i think we've managed to cover it all but do tell us because uh we love seeing the toys in games so but let me thank my guest mike it seems we have you on when it's collectible time so i'm sure we'll see you again when we've got that subject thanks for coming on again buddy always a pleasure richard thank you, thank you again i know we'll be speaking to you very soon as well thanks again no problem Ash. and graham as always thank you very much for for joining us uh, thanks for having me brilliant it's been a great look back guys on some brilliant toys and games of the 90s um check it out on, on twitter and then go back on ebay and find out where these things are as well see how much they're worth these days um i'll put some pictures on so you can remind you but until next time i'm ash rose keep it 90s this podcast is a west 12 media and burble media production